Hi, I'm Hermine Hartman with Indigo Studio. And today we're going to talk about the presidential election of 2020, the most historical election that we have seen in our lifetime. To date, 98% of the votes are counted, still counting. Joe Biden by a margin of 5 million votes and 306 electoral college votes will be the next president of the United States. Number 46. We saw Republicans become Democrats. We saw red states become blue. We saw the elderly appeal to the young. We saw black women become deciders. We saw the Latino community's diversity. And we saw voters vote more than ever before. And that's the good news. But what happened? What really happened? So today we're going to talk to politicos. We're going to talk to Eric Johnson. He is the editor and a journalist at the Chicago Crusader. We're going to talk to Kim Algoen. She is the afternoon host at WVON and an attorney. And we're going to talk to Jeanette Wilson. She is an attorney and is a uh, aide to Reverend Jesse Jackson and the executive director of Push XL. Thank you, and don't go away. We've got a fabulous conversation today. Eric, how do you see the presidential election of 2020? What happened? What happened? Uh, This truly was an unprecedented election. I think it was the political climate that dictated and fueled um, voters. We had unprecedented turnout, not at the po- not just at the polls, but also uh, the mail-in ballots. I think that what really make and break and broke this election is was the mail-in ballots, and the fact that uh, there was concern about low voter turnout, as we saw in 2016. Um, that was definitely not a concern on this one. But I truly do believe that. If there was not a coronavirus pandemic and this was an election where you had strictly just in person, the election would have been decided on November 3rd. Would have been a different election. Absolutely. So, Kim, we have the sitting president of the United States, Donald Trump, refusing to concede. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it. Considering what we know about Donald Trump and the way in which he was elected to office, he is remaining true to form. There's nothing shocking about him not conceding. This is his personality. It is not within him to to say that I've lost. But what it means right now is something far more important than him just saying that I concede. It is so important because right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. We still have relations to keep up internationally. And there needs to be a functional transition, if never before, like the transition that needs to happen right now with all of the the chaos and crisis that is happening in the United States of America right now. So that is the most important thing. We don't need him to just show up or leave on January 20th and number 46, President Joe, President-elect Joe Biden, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, and they haven't transitioned. That will put us at a, a major disadvantage. So what happens if Trump actually refuses to leave the White House physically? What happens? Well, at that point, as the states begin to certify all of these elections and as the Electoral College actually meets 
and they cast their votes for president and it becomes finalized that Joe Biden will be president 46, then the Constitution kicks into effect. And they, I think it was a vice president of Joe Biden who may have said that the Secret Service know how to deal with someone who doesn't want to leave the White mm-hmm. House. What I've heard is that the U.S. Marshals come yeah. and they will take you out. They, they will and take Biden you out. And Biden is cool, calm and collected, said, oh, he will leave. Jeanette Wilson? Yes, ma'am. We have a new vice president. For the first time in the history of America, we have Kamala Harris, a woman, as vice president of the United States. What's that mean for black women? Well, I, I think it means a lot for uh, black women in particular because she's a, a acknowledged that she stands on the shoulders of Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American woman to run for president, really one of the first women to run for president. And so I think Kamala uh, being vice president uh, gives hope to our daughters. Uh, uh, it just it, it allows them to see there is no glass ceiling. And I think that uh, she has acknowledged that it was women. Black women in particular and women of color, secondarily, who caused this election to turn. So here's a question for all of you. So the rumor mill has it, as Biden looks at his cabinet, that uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth might go to the cabinet uh, in Veterans Affairs or the Defense Department and former Mayor Rahm Emanuel Emanuel might also go as a cabinet member in transportation. Your thoughts? I think that that will will not be a wise choice on Biden's part to pick a former mayor who has been so polarizing and so divisive and the third largest city in America, especially with the political climate as it is with the racial justice issues. We know that Rahm Emanuel has a lot of baggage. We know what Rahm Emanuel is all about. But we also know that Biden uh, has the black vote and he has been saved by the black vote, not once, but twice during the primary and during the general election. I don't think that would be a good choice. I think that Biden needs to look to the African-American community uh, for some recommendations as to who should be a part of his cabinet. I don't think he I think he's precipitous in maybe recommending anyone until he checks with the people that brought him to the party. You don't go to the dance and then leave with someone else. So was there a deciding factor in this election? If you could name three things that influenced this election, what might they be? I would say the number one thing, and and this is usually controversial when I say this, I think that if we had not been in COVID-19 with this pandemic, I think that the path to the White House would have been much easier for President Trump. I think that we would have been looking at a a second uh, term for him. But the way in which he refused to lead on COVID-19, refused to acknowledge. I mean, he will go down in history as someone who has lost an election just because he would not say wear a mask. And that is, I I think that that is the one thing that really galvanized so many people to say we have got over 200,000 people who have died. All of those, all of those homes and families impacted. And growing and And coming and getting more severe. But I think also George Floyd put criminal justice on the ballot. Absolutely. Had he not, had we not watched this man die live on television, young people all across the world decided this is it. This is enough. And so we saw a lot of young people, not just marching in the streets, but they began to realize they could march to the polls. And so you have an unprecedented, overwhelming number of young people who didn't want to vote before. They were they took social media and lit it up 
when George Floyd died on camera, I think. And it put criminal justice on the map. It changed state legislatures as a result. This, uh, the death and how that was handled in Minneapolis, it changed all across the country. We, we saw attorney generals, state attorney generals elected in places that you would not expect. Aurora, Cal- Colorado. So the votes are in and Biden is clearly the winner. However, the margins are slim. Uh, we're looking at about 52 percent. We're looking at less than a 5 percent popular vote difference. What happens to the Trump people now? Where do they go? Do they go away? Do they go home? Do they concede? Do they say, OK? Well, they definitely don't go away, because if you really think about it, every percentage across the board, as far as ethnicity and also gender, except for white males, voted, increased their vote for Donald Trump. But what had to happen, we, we've said this, so many people who have looked at this said that the amount of people who voted for the Democrats had to increase. You weren't going to necessarily pick at his base, but you had to raise the number of people who were going to vote Democratic. When you have almost half of the people still voting for President Trump, there's no way that he just goes away, which is why I think he does go ahead and leave by January 20th. He never concedes, but he's already started a pack. He's he's ready to come back for 2024. He's taken control of the Republican Party. That's right. He has built the Trump Republican Party because those people are loyal to him even now. They I think he's built up. the Trump Party. I think the Republican Party well, is one of gone. The things they said, call it is the Trump Republican to Party. To your point, one of the things they said is that for the next four years, what he will do is block other people from running for the presidency on behalf of Republicans because of what he'll be doing over the next in 2024 in 2024. I think Trump has redefined the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Um, We're seeing we're we're seeing a Republican Party that's vastly different from the days of George H.W. Bush. I think that Trump has totally uh, redefined, you know, the Republican politician. You know, and in fact, I mean, I just think it's so interesting that you had, as you know, John McCain before he died, even though he was Republican, he was leaning more. He was more accepted as, you know, by the Democrats. Now it's interesting that Cindy McCain, his wife, his widow, you know, is going to be is on the transition team, you know, as an advisor. And that Biden carried Arizona. Right. And that Cindy even endorsed. She even endorsed Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, she had to. He disrespected. He disrespected her husband. Yes. He disrespected every veteran. Yes. And so I think that not only is it a new Republican Party, he's doing what Hitler did in Nazi Germany. That's right. He decided to disregard the rule of law there. Trump has disregarded the Constitution. He has broken every rule imaginable. He uses his power of executive privilege, executive powers to do what he wants to do. And the scary part about it is just like you said, he has totally torn this nation apart in the past four years. And that with his and he did not even he refused to uh, Trump has changed the face of politics. Mm -hmm. It's not the Republican Party. Trump has changed the face of politics. And on that note, we'll be right back. Don't go away. This is a fantastic conversation. National Politics 2020. Though human ingenuity will continue to make various inventions, with the help of new machines built to do the same, of this I am certain. 
No invention will ever be devised that is more beautiful, more simple, and more purposeful than those that nature designs. Proud server of the most advanced machine on Earth. Hey, 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 we're guests here. Close the door. It's probably why our energy bill is so much higher than yours. You know, ComEd makes it easy to save money and energy. Hey, look, we even got an instant rebate on the smart thermostat. And rebates on Energy Star appliances, like this refrigerator. And this washer-dryer combo. Close the door! Find even more rebates from the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program at comed.com slash rebate. Closed captioning is sponsored by the Illinois State Lottery. Welcome back. We're talking about politics, national politics. So one of the things I've noticed, and it has already um, been a pet peeve, as they talk about Kamala Harris, they say the first African-American vice president of the United States, the first Asian mixed African-American. It's like, why don't you all just say this lady is the first woman, Mm -hmm. vice president of the United States, and put a period behind it. What's your reaction to that? Do you have any? Do you care? Does it matter? You know, it's it's very interesting the way, you know, the way you phrase it, you know, African-American, Asian-American, you know, in the black community, say, why can't you just say, as we all know, that one drop of blood, you know, makes you black. It was never a biracial, it was never anything else, you know, and all of a sudden you have someone when they ascended to the pinnacle of politics, like Ms. Harris, it becomes, you know, that much of an issue. I think she galvanized women uh, across uh, culture. And so as a result of that, you want to give a, a shout out to every woman that voted for her because women some white women, not in, not in the numbers that they should have, voted for her. The Asian American women, the African American women, Latino women, and so it's it's to allow women to really celebrate, no matter what your culture. Biden did not tap a woman vice presidential candidate. He tapped a black and that woman is why vice it's presidential candidate because, as we know, Biden was under pressure to select a talented black woman as a running mate after his failing campaign was saved by the voters in South Carolina during the Democratic primary. But there was more pressure than people even understand Mm -hmm. because it was not going that way. There was still a lot of pressure in his campaign to not go with a black woman. And uh, about 100 black women wrote a letter to the campaign letting him know that this is important to the community. This is a group of women who since 1976 have voted no less than 80% for the Democratic Party. It is time for a black woman to be And there were several the women in the lineup to become. Yes, there the was vice- competition. Yes, Stacey Abrams, who absolutely has outworked. Demi. Uh, Demi, mm-hmm. out of the uh, police officer. Karen Bass. In Florida. Karen Bass. Several. And so we had a lot of qualified African-American women and, and I understand the choice of Kamala Harris. Uh, she fits a lot of... Uh, oh, she checks all the boxes. She checks every box. Stacey Abrams is a hero in this campaign. Oh. We cannot overlook oh. her at all for more reasons than one. Not only black women, but she may deliver Georgia. Yes. She, she's delivered. And if she delivers Georgia, that delivers the Senate. 
how poignant that that was that was the state that really put him over the top. But then even with the Senate in which if those two seats, mm-hmm. if those in two Georgia. seats in Georgia make it past the runoff, that splits the Senate 50 50. And, and then Kamala. Senate President a Kamala, Kamala Harris. A black woman gets to- Senate President Kamala, but not without Stacey Abrams. I discussed this with Reverend Jackson, and he had a very poignant, poetic viewpoint. And what he said was, Dr. King lives. Mm-hmm. John Lewis lives. Yeah. This comes from Ebenezer Baptist Church. Yeah, Warnock is the pastor of Ebenezer. Do you think Trump would go to jail? Is that a real possibility, it's a possibility that we would put a president of the United States in jail? There's something about this man that what he said when he was running, that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. In Fifth Avenue is something about him that I don't know that he ever does a day in, in prison. I think not. And I think there's also a question, too, the fact that he hasn't paid any IRS taxes in 10 years and paid only $750 in 2000, 2016. So we all paid more taxes than Trump. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, paying more taxes than Trump and taxes probably getting ready to go up. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Close the door. It's probably why our energy bill is so much higher than yours. You know, ComEd makes it easy to save money and energy. Yeah, look, we even got an instant rebate on the smart thermostat. And rebates on Energy Star appliances, like this refrigerator. And this washer-dryer combo. Close the door! Find even more rebates from the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program at comed.com slash rebate. Welcome back. Eric, this is something you and I have talked about. Jeanette, you and I have talked about. What about the polls? Did the poll the polls got it all wrong? What about the polls? I'm, you know, that's a very good question because as we know, the polls had it wrong definitely in 2016 when it had predicted Hillary Clinton will win by a landslide, and we saw the total opposite. She did win the popular vote. I think that what made this one different in regards to the polls is that the mail-in ballots, you know, the polls show that the polls were showing that, you know, Biden was ahead, was truly ahead of Trump, you know, days and weeks, months before the election. And even some states, it was a neck and neck, you know, but at the same time, I think the mail-in ballots made the polls true, but kind of made us forget or kind of made us doubt whether the polls were actually right because election night, we did not see the dominance of Joe Biden. We saw the rise of President Trump. He took Florida. 
He took Ohio, two important swing states. And then all of a sudden, we all began to think that this was a repeat, going to be a repeat of 2016. But the mail-in ballots was kind of like deceptive. It's like, wait, hold on a minute. The election is not over. Even though we knew that there would not be a decisive winner until days later, you know, so it kind of made the polls seem like, well, what happened to your predictions again? But don't you think the pollsters saw the impact or did they underestimate the impact of the mail-in vote? I think they did. I think the Republicans underestimated the impact of uh, mail-in votes. And I think Democrats, too, did not see how powerful and how strong it was going to be. Because, as you know, um, in the end, a lot of black leaders were saying uh, we're encouraging people to go vote in person. So there will not be a question of whether or not, you know, who's the winner, you know, come, you know, November the 3rd. Mm -hmm. Jeanette, what do you think about that? Well, I think the pollsters are generally wrong because we're never really polled. And I don't know who these pollsters are. We don't have our own pollsters, and that's something we need to do. Also, the mail-in ballots were usually heavily Republican. They're absentee ballots. They changed the name and and confused people. We just started, in terms of Democrats and African Americans, doing the mail-in because of the pandemic it, it, it increased because people did not want to go out, didn't want to stand in line. It gave seniors an easy way to, to vote. I think our, our, our voting system is archaic. It needs to be revamped. It needs to be uh, modernized. I was talking to my daughter. We have the most archaic election system in the world. So one of the things that comes up often now is the Electoral College, to banish it, or to keep it. And I think when you when you start doing real research, it's a slave law. It's a slave law. It's a slave law. It was to protect white America from blacks outvoting them and taking office. Well, here we are. So do we need to banish the Electoral College? And if so, how do we do it? Absolutely. It should be eliminated. And so how do we do that? That's not just say it. How do you do it? But see, that's the that's the issue. If it's for the reason that you just gave. Well, that's that's it. But if it's for the reason that you just gave, has the landscape of America changed so much that we'll be able to convince Americans to banish the Electoral College? So the Electoral College, black people as slaves, as enslaved people, were counted as three-fifths human. Yes. So now that we are fully human, okay, how do we, how, do, how if you were to eliminate the Electoral College, I'm asking you lawyers, what is the process to actually doing it? Is it an amendment? Is it a popular yes. vote? It's an it amendment. It would have to be an amendment because it's in the Constitution. And but, but but what I'm saying is, look at how divided the country is right now. No one who has power wants to give up power. So how do you convince that group of people that this is the time now, especially when we know that in national politics, just as evidenced by this election, as well as 2016, the difference in the two elections is the turnout for black voters. The path to the White House is through the black community. So that. But it's it's a state's rights agenda. And we, uh, if you look at the 11 Southern states, That's where the majority of African-Americans live still. We have the power in these state legislatures to change uh, how we are perceived. And if we decide, we we can vote it down. If we partner with those who elected Kamala this time, blacks and browns come together, get rid of the electoral college because it does not 
give them a fair representation in the Congress. It doesn't give them a fair representation. When you look at the Senate, U.S. Senate is not fair. Why should a state with uh, half of the votes of another state get the same number of senators? It doesn't even make sense. You know, I'll tell you this. One of the things that I feel very good and comforted by is Biden's experience. He is probably the most experienced president that we have ever had. He's been in the Senate six times. He was vice president for eight years. He knows how to cross the aisle. There's a real comfort in hitting the ground running. He doesn't have to figure it out. He doesn't have to look in the directory on who to call. He knows what he knows for sure. And I think that's a real assurance. I don't know how you all felt, but when I saw that Biden had won, I I don't know if I was in a light depression I don't know if I was scared. I don't know where I was, but I felt a lift. I slept better. And I think it makes a transition. Whether or not Trump uh, supports a transition, he already knows the transition. He's been through transitions before, so he understands what to do. That's why he says, I can get my health, uh, my COVID team. He knows what he needs to do because he's been there. And I think that's a comfort. We also wanted somebody somebody in the White House who really cares about people. Who can bring dignity, decency back, back to the office. Caring, empathy. I mean, imagine how we have looked internationally for the last four years. And it just says so much that the countries that are supposed to be our allies were the first to call and congratulate you before anyone called it. But it, we, they, they have been treated like our protagonists for, for four years. So it's nice to, to think that we're going to have a statesman. We've had a transactional president at the ham. We've had a person who made, his, made our government his business. And if it didn't benefit him, then it was a no-go. It was his way or the highway. We've seen more staff changes than any administration ever. And we're talking about uh, key positions. We're talking about now, are we in a threatening position internationally because he has fired defense? He's not listening to the uh, uh, international uh, intelligence. Are we vulnerable now? I think we're vulnerable. And I think that this president is, is really trying to be a dictator. He's also been very transparent. There has been nothing hidden from us with him. So really, the failure has been the American people and those in those positions to see what he's doing Mm -hmm. and to continue. We're talking about, he's talking about billions of dollars in arms sales now to the United Arab Emirates. I mean, there is so much damage that can be done in these last two months of his administration. So it's time for those people to step up. It's time for the Republican Party, the United States Senate, to step up and take control and and be the senators that they were elected to be. No one elected them to do this. Kim, we're going to win, George? I I think that all eyes are on Georgia, and there are a lot of people who are willing to make that happen. And we're going to work for Georgia. So um, uh, Stacey's going to bring us through. We're going to win Georgia. And I think uh, Reverend Jackson's statement of poetic justice will be done. And on that note, we thank you for being with us. Thank you all for such a wonderful conversation, candid conversation on politics 2020. A lot of surprises, a lot of things happen. Stay woke. Thank you.